0: Well, good evening, Kairos. I'll say, "Bless the Lord." If you'll say, "Oh, my soul, bless the Lord," oh, my soul. bless His holy name. Thank you for that. Um, Kairos is our honest and unique attempt to connect to God and each other. We want to be the kind of people who bring the whole gospel to the whole person, anytime, anywhere, with anybody. Uh, hope you've had a good week. Some of you are back from spring break. Some of us who are adults don't know what that is anymore, so we hate you. Um, But uh, I don't know what kind of week you've had, whether it's been successful or full of failures. But um, I like the word epic fail. Have you heard that before? Um, I'm a sucker. I I wish I could present to you this image of a pastor who only thinks deep thoughts and smokes a pipe and ponders really deep mysteries of the universe with God's help. But I like dumb YouTube videos where people fall on their face and I laugh at them. Nothing makes me happier. And if water's involved, all the much better. Um, And I've had plenty of epic failures in my life, whether it's come from careers that just epically or we couldn't even call them a career. I would say it was a job that lasted a day. That was epic failure. Um, academics, more epic failures than I care to admit. Relationships, definitely epic failures. Um, I, I wasn't afraid to go for it. I kind of adopted the philosophy of Michael Jordan, who said, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. But apparently Michael Jordan never told me, you can actually miss 100% of the shots you do take. <laughs> epic failure, um, well, the Lord is, is gracious to redeem. I think I, the reason I like epic failure is because it insinuates that there's this glory of this grand goal, but then all of a sudden, as soon as you jump for it, the gravity just grabs a hold of you, and you realize there is a chasm, a huge gap between what you thought it was going to take to actually do this and the reality of where you actually are. Right, a huge gap between my attempt and my accomplishment. And it doesn't matter sometimes. You you can have all the resources, all the education, watched all the how-to videos, you can have all the support and, and prayer that you can muster up, but sometimes it's gonna wind up an epic failure. And tonight I want us to take a look at a text where Uh, I would consider it an epic failure by one of the most epic disciples. So Simon, right, he's always uh, all up in the mix. He's got the nickname Peter, the rock. You smell the rock is cooking. It's, It's Peter getting ready to do something, make some bold, brash statement. And then the next thing you know, he's usually failing somewhere, which is maybe why my heart is so attracted to him. Um, But in our text tonight, uh, he's coming to the apex of his leadership and his influence. And it's been building and building, and he is ready to attempt to accomplish what God sees in him and wants to do through him from his rabbi Jesus. And it's coming down to the Passover meal, and the Lord is about to challenge him in a way that he doesn't like. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and we'll start reading in verse 31. While you're turning there, let me pray for us. Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? And together we say, Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Luke chapter 22, we'll start in verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen. Your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go to prison and to death with you. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny three times that you know me. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. So I know it was just three short verses, but I just dropped you into a theological minefield. All right, we got a lot of things going on. We got God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, the tension between good and evil. Here we find out in this passage, Satan has to ask permission from God to sift Satan or to sift Simon. That's, that's let's not do that again. <laughs> and apparently, permission has been granted. And then all of a sudden, we hear that now Jesus is praying for Simon and the roles have been determined Satan will be the accuser and Jesus will be his advocate and he says but Simon I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned back strengthen your brothers I feel like that's my prayer for the church and for us tonight that your faith may not fail I feel like it's a a prayer that if we listen long enough and hard enough, perhaps tonight we could overhear the divine echoes of Jesus interceding for us at the right hand of the Father, that our faith may not fail. Now, I don't know where you're at right now. You could be growing and going and things are popping in your relationship with God and in community and service and things are great. Or your faith could be feeble and fragile. My prayer for both of you is that your faith may not fail. I don't know where you're at direction wise, job wise and career wise. I don't know if things are finally starting to click and you're finally getting some opportunities or you feel like you followed God into a dead end and there's nothing on the horizon. My prayer is that your faith may not fail. For those of us who are still in the mood for a miracle, Whether you see it this side of heaven or not, I pray that your faith may not fail. And I wonder tonight if Jesus isn't praying the same thing for us, for sinners and saints alike, that your faith may not fail. Peter's response to Jesus' declaration, that he's prayed for him, that his faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers, is cocky, to say the least, okay? It's a little robust, it's, it's very Simon, right? He's like, oh, thanks for the prayer, Jesus, I got this one, okay? Bring it on. I got two squirt guns, I'm ready to charge hell. You know, Satan knows my name, but you got my back, let's do it, it's like Brutus, okay? Here we go. I'm willing to follow you to prison and to death. Now, you gotta give him some credit here, He's been learning and listening, okay? He's on this three-year discipleship program. He's sitting underneath his rabbi, Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 18, he says, "Uh, uh, you're the son of God. And Jesus says, congratulations. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven, your name is no longer Simon. It's Peter because you are the rock who I will build my church on. It's kind of affirming, isn't it? Good. A few short verses later. Apparently Peter has some ideas about how Jesus' strategy needs some tweaking. And Jesus starts to say, yeah, it, it, the son of man's gonna have to die. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> No, 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 that's, that's not how we do things. And Jesus gives him a new nickname, calls him Satan. So actually that was an okay slip beforehand. <laughs> he says, get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the things of men, not of God. But he learned from that. Right? Even after he had that epic failure, (laughs) he's looking sweet in front of the other disciples, like, yeah, check me out. And then he's like, okay, shame walk home, right? Jesus called me Satan and I'm screwed it up again. But he's learned from that. And now he's come to realize, embrace, and ready to follow this scandalous, dangerous. And I'm sure in his mind, sometimes seemingly ridiculous strategy that Jesus has to bring the kingdom of God here on earth. And the fact that he wants to become a conquering king by becoming a crucified king. And he says, Lord, I am ready to follow you to prison and even death. He gets it now. He understands and he's ready to follow him. And in this text, right? if you read a few short verses before, it's the Passover meal where the Lord's instituting his new covenant uh, with his disciples and with us. And then just like any kind of family unit does, they miss the point sometimes. And it says an argument has broken out amongst the disciples about who's gonna be the greatest. So they're in this middle of this argument, right? And again, Peter's gotta be feeling it a little bit. He, he's got a good resume so far. He's one of the three that Jesus constantly pulls aside. He saw him transfigured. He's the only one of the disciples who ever walked on water, albeit three steps, but hey, no one else can claim that on him, right? He's got the keys to his kingdom, literally in his coat pocket, cloak pocket, I should say. Let me contextualize it. And he's probably like, oh, Jesus is interrupting us to set the record straight. (laughs) Tell him, Jesus. Actually, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you but I've prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. No, Lord, I'm ready to follow you to prison and even death. Simon, before the night is even over, you will deny you ever knew me three times. Jesus tells him an epic failure is right around the corner. And here's how it sounds. Then they seized Jesus and led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. In one of the other gospels, it goes so far as to say that Peter shouted out swears and curses. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Epic failure. You will deny you ever knew me. I I really wonder what it's like to lock eyes with Jesus in that moment. I've got to believe that the look in his eyes was so full of grace and understanding and compassion and acknowledgement that that's what drove Peter to go outside and weep, weep bitterly. He just got done telling me he would fallen the prism in death. He just got done trying to pray with Jesus before he was betrayed and fell asleep several times. But I'd like to submit to you tonight. If you're going to try with your whole heart and your mind and your body to fully follow Jesus, you're going to need the faith to fail that following Jesus sometimes puts you in a place where you're beyond your own abilities. And that when you are determined to be a threat to Satan's agenda, he will attack. And he wants to accuse you that when you do fail, it's final. And there's no coming back. But the gospel speaks a different story, doesn't it? So, a couple observations. One, it was Simon's faith that led him to that failure that night. He's following Jesus. Hey, he's, of, in this text, he's the only disciple. In John's account, John's with him there. John calls himself the beloved disciple. He also technically has a nickname, but that's not good for marketing purposes. You're not really gonna have a great church with, hey, come here, the beloved disciple. Everyone's gonna to wanna to go to the rock church, right? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so he's, all the other ones, gone. Betrayed. Don't forget Simon too also, when Jesus was betrayed, took out a sword and cut off some dude's ear. <laughs> Jesus is like, hey, will you ever get it? <laughs> I think in his grace, he doesn't tell him how many more times he's gonna fail before the rooster crows. He just says, you can only handle these three, okay? But he's following him. He's there. And that, to some extent, contributes to his failure because he's right out in front trying his best to follow Jesus to prison and even to death. But Jesus will restore. Failure doesn't have to be final with Jesus. We know that after Jesus is resurrected, he appears on the sh- shore of Galilee and all the disciples have, were hiding and then scattered and it just looks as if it's over. Peter goes back home, moves in with his mom or his mother-in-law, gets his old high school job back at the fish factory and he's out there thinking, I had my shot, but I blew it. I have no future because of my failures. And then there's Jesus on the shore with a fire and cooking him breakfast. Joker jumps straight off, pulls a Lieutenant Dan right off the boat, (laughs) (laughs) swims to shore. As Boggs and I were talking and praying through this text, he was reminding me, perhaps Jesus is kindling his old factory senses. The last time he locked eyes with Jesus in a personal way perhaps was at a fire where he denied him. And now there's a fire again. And Jesus locks eyes with him again. And for the three times that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus recommissions him three times. Do you love me? Lord, you know that I do. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Lord, you know that I do. Feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Lord, why do you keep asking? You know that I do. Tend my lambs. For every denial there is a recommission because failure is not final with the gospel. And I would also say he knew how to fail forward, that he didn't let the accuser get exactly what he wanted, which was to point a finger at him and tell him, you'll never amount to anything and you're unworthy of Jesus because the gospel spoke a better word over his life. And for those of us in the room tonight who feel inadequate, for all the trials and testing that we're undergoing, for those of us who have denied Jesus in cowardly and pretty boldly courageous ways, and for those of us who have locked eyes with a Savior and instead of seeing condemnation, seeing love, because we know we've done our best to follow Jesus, but we stop short of the cross. Failure doesn't have to be final. Peter reminds us that repentance and seeking forgiveness are in of themselves a sign of faith. Peter's our model disciple here, not because he never has failed, because he's failed and turned back. And sometimes that's the greatest expression of your faith is turning back. And Jesus speaks that over him. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers and sisters. Can I just say this? If you're in a season of consistent failure, maybe it's because you have no brothers and sisters to turn back to. And for those of you who are recovering from a failure and you're ashamed of it, I want to remind you of this. There's a certain type of strengthening that can only be given by people who have failed. That's not to say, do we go on sinning that grace may abound? Meganoito, God forbid, it's not it. It's why he's following Jesus. He fails And he falls forward, but Jesus picks him back up and he continues to march on. And it is his story and it is a story throughout the Bible. Abraham fails to follow God's instructions, but God's grace still gives him Isaac. Moses fails to conquer his fears and enter into God's calling as a public speaker, but God's grace gives him Aaron. David fails as king on half the 10 commandments but yet God's grace establishes his kingdom for all eternity in and through him. Paul fails to see the very Jesus in the scriptures he spent his entire life studying, learning, memorizing, and teaching. But God's grace gives him eyes to see, and ears to hear, and more scripture to write. John Mark fails on a missionary journey But God's grace gives him Barnabas and a reconciled relationship with Paul. And even Jesus failed. He failed to let our failures keep us from his forgiveness. And God's grace has given us access as sons and daughters to the kingdom of God. Failure isn't final and some of us need the faith to move through failure tonight. Amen. So we'd like to take 120 seconds uh, at the end of the preaching time just to listen to God's voice. And we just want to be able to answer two questions. What is God saying to me? And what do I need to do about it? So we want to practice listening prayer. We want to see... What has God spoken to me tonight through conversations, through worship, through preaching? We've been in this room for 40 minutes now. What's the one thing that had your name on it tonight? And it's not enough just to identify that. Then we need to move into what does my response to that need to be? And we'll pray. And then I'm gonna invite our prayer counselors up as we worship. We're gonna be standing here in the front for anybody who needs prayer. Sound good? Speak Lord, your servants are listening, amen.